With all of the talk about how pro-life laws in states that have overturned abortion because of Roe v. Wade getting overturned are harming and endangering the lives of women, with all of these talking points and arguments from CNN to MSNBC to ABC to social media and TikTok and viral influencers all saying that pro-life laws now are actually going to they're actually going to kill women. <laughs> they're going to kill women. Uh, and we need abortion because abortion actually, you see, it actually helps women's health. Um, and without it, more women will die. Uh, we're hearing this a lot right now. It's, it's, I, from what I'm seeing, maybe you are too on social media, it's, it's some of the primary claims being made, actually. And so I thought it would be significant and important to once again have our in-house OBGYN here at Unaborted, Dr. Brent Bowles, to come in and actually discuss the conversation regarding abortion safety. Now listen, I believe abortion is wrong because it intentionally kills an innocent human being. I don't make medical arguments. I lead with moral arguments. But it's very important to have clarity on the medical side of this conversation and what abortion does to women to the mothers because the left says that they exist to help preserve and support women's health, their reproductive health. But the opposite is actually true. By supporting, expanding, and funding abortion, not only do you kill the babies, which is why abortion is wrong, but you actually intentionally harm the lives of the women and patients that you say you exist to serve. And you need to be equipped to have conversations to lift the delusional veil that many Americans are living under who believe that the abortion industry, while they hate unborn children, they do support women. They do support the women obtaining abortions. This has never been the case, and it's become more abundantly clear than ever before that for the abortion industry, pregnant women become just as much of a sacrificial lamb as unborn children on the altar of abortion access. And no one is better to have this conversation and equip you to stand against the culture of death than my good friend, Dr. Brent Bowles. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. <laughs> Dr. Brent, welcome back to the show, brother. Hey, Seth. How are you? Good. Tired. We're cranking over here. Uh, I'm sure you're very busy as well. Uh, so much is happening now with Roe versus Wade getting overturned. We're celebrating, but as you and I know, this was never the end of the pro-life movement. This was actually the beginning of the pro-life movement. Now that states can protect unborn children, we're actually just beginning until every unborn child is protected in our laws. Hey, we did a really fun breakout session at Heartbeat International Conference a few months ago, uh, and you and I, you know, obviously, obviously smoked uh, one too many cigars as well. Um, but uh, Heartbeat International is a big fan of you. You're, of course, the uh, medical director for the abortion pill reversal at Heartbeat International. Uh, you have been the on-call doctor uh, when you were in Tennessee in the Nashville area for women who would call the abortion pill reversal hotline to help women reverse it because they wanted to exercise their choice to reverse the abortion and keep the child. And you've actually delivered babies, Dr. Brent, uh, whose lives were spared because you helped to get their mothers on the abortion pill reversal. So you're incredibly qualified to have these conversations. And we did a great session together at the Heartbeat International Conference in Florida recently, where we went through the conversation regarding abortion safety. And I said there what I'll say again now is that most pro-lifers are not informed on these conversations and on what abortion does to women. And to, to some extent, I understand why, because we're leading with moral arguments. We're saying abortion's wrong because it takes the life of a child, of a baby. Uh, whether it harms the mother is actually beside the point when you're talking about why it's wrong. Right? Abortion's not wrong because it harms women. It's wrong because it kills a baby. Oh, but also, it harms women. And so, so being equipped to have that conversation is important because I believe this, Dr. Ben, I think I believe it with good reason. There there are a lot of Americans who are living under the false delusion that or illusion rather that the abortion industry, while they don't care about the baby, they do love and support the women who are obtaining abortions, that they, they're going to do everything they can to protect her health to promote her health and well-being, and not to unnecessarily harm her. A lot of Americans believe that. I know some people who could call themselves pro-life, Dr. Brent, who would say that they believe that. 
that, that they, they don't like the abortion industry because they're pro-life, but they think that the abortion industry does want to help and protect women. This could not be further from the truth, and it's becoming more and more clear of their true agenda. So with having said that, I, I want to have this conversation with you about statistics, about documented evidence that we've had actually for some time. That, that shows some of the negative consequences and implications of abortion for women. And, and, and it, it's so incredibly well-documented and proven that guess what? The abortion industry knows this. They know this. But they buried the data because it would prevent them from promoting and profiting off of abortion to the degree that they want to. So there are at least three abundantly documented ways in which abortion is actually very harmful and dangerous just to the woman getting the abortion. So with having set up that conversation, let's talk about those uh, fundamentally at least three different ways. And I want to defer over to Dr. Brent Bowles, our in-house OBGYN here at Unaborted. Well, thank you, Seth. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about this. We've talked about it before. Uh, we I think had really good success when we did this topic at Heartbeat, and I'm glad to be able to do it again with you. Um, I'd like to open with the comment that abortion is the ultimate disrespect of the woman's bodily autonomy. Hmm. Um, Pro-lifers, just take, take the next several minutes while we're talking here and do something that's really difficult for a pro-life person to do. Forget that there's a baby involved. For the next little bit, we're just going to be right. talking about the risks to the woman because the sure. other side wants to talk about how it's the safest procedure in all of medicine, that medication right. abortion is safer than Tylenol. Well, <laughs> you know, right. there's a little, a little pesky thing in medicine called informed consent where okay. the physician about to provide a new treatment with medication or a surgical procedure is obligated to discuss the procedure with the patient the reasons why it's being done, the reasons why it's being offered, the um, benefits and the risks, the potential risks. Uh, right. And the woman is supposed to have the opportunity to ask questions about those risks once she hears about them and then decide. And right. for a woman to go into that and make the decision without all the facts, well, she may be choosing to allow something to be done to and within her body that she wouldn't choose if she knew the truth about the risks. Right. Therefore, all these people who are out there screaming bodily autonomy, my body, my choice, wow. not only is it not your body that's being destroyed in an abortion, but your body is actually being put at risk and you don't even know it because they're lying to you about it. Uh, right. The respect of the woman's bodily autonomy would include an honest and forthright discussion about what abortion can do to you. So well um, a, a resource that the abortion industry points to when they want to cite how they've debunked the risk of increased breast cancer and how they've proven that there's no impact on future pregnancies and how there's no impact on mental health, they mm. like to cite this book. Let me see if I can get it on the screen. Okay. Uh, the Safety and Quality of Abortion Care in the United States. Um, and unlike most of the people tweeting and Instagramming and stuff like that right now who talk about the Dobbs decision and talk about uh, miscarriages and ectopics, right. you know, where they haven't really read what they're talking about, they haven't looked at it, they haven't studied it. I'm not like that. I've read this. Nice. Good for you. Um it was written, it was a, it's a report prepared by a group called the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. Now, this okay. is a group that was ostensibly created to provide objective, scientific, um, thoughtful, and considerate commentary on different scientific issues, engineering processes, medical issues, and the people who are commenting on such things are supposed to be free from bias, free from conflicts of interest. But when you look at the National Academy of Sciences across the board, you find that 20% of the people that review topics across the board, 20% of them have significant financial ties 
to the industries or the entities or the projects that they are evaluating. Right. So, you know, that, that's a pretty big number. One out of five, uh, one out of every five of the people who write reports for, uh, for the National Academy of Sciences are potentially influenced by their own personal financial interests. Wow. Um, all of the people that wrote and contributed to the, this report on abortion, every single name I recognized is a prolific publisher of material on abortion and works for universities and institutions as abortion instructors and abortion providers and abortion researchers wow. and work, for example, for Danco Pharmaceuticals, whose right. only commercial product is the abortion pill. The abortion pill, yeah. Isn't that so, funny, so by the way, Dr. Brent, that people yeah. always discredit pro-life sources? You hear, you hear the pro-aborts on the left in America say this all the time. If I cite something from a credible source, but that happens to lean pro-life or have individuals involved that are publicly supportive of the pro-life movement, <laughs> the left wing in America immediately discredits them and says, that's a conflict yeah. of interest. You kind of, yeah. but then, but then they cite their folks who are all publicly and unapologetically involved with abortion rights groups or universities that promote and teach abortions. And, and for, that's, they're just following the science though. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Continue. Um, so, Virtually 100% of these writers have significant financial ties or professional wow. associations with the abortion industry. I didn't recognize any pro-life names in there. I didn't recognize wow. any neutral names. Typical. Uh, if there is such a thing as a neutral person on the issue of abortion anymore. Um, so first, that goes to show that there's really a problem in the way this report was written. But we're going to look right. specifically at the three major issues that I wanted to cover here. Um, first, it's very common for the abortion industry to say it really has no impact on a woman's future mental health. Oh, um, my gosh. They lose this, their freaking this, minds if you say yeah. that abortion might impact your future mental health as a woman. I mean, like they, they, it's like a lynch mob. If you say that, I've said things like that to pro-abortion crowds. Oh, my gosh. They, they look like a deer in the headlights first, and then they turn into a demon. Like that, like yes. <laughs> that's got to be one of yeah. the most denied claims in the culture wars that I've ever heard. It is, but you can't really deny it if you're objective. There are somewhere in the neighborhood of three thousand pro-life pregnancy centers across the country, and you know these right. centers don't just exist to coerce the woman or convince her to have the baby and then kick her to the curb afterwards. They not only provide baby clothes and diapers and wipes and formula and cribs and strollers and car seats and, you know, most of them will remain involved with the life of a woman who needs their help for two or three years after the delivery. Um, wow giving lie to the frequent statement, oh, you don't care about them, you just want them to be born, and then you don't care about them. Total lie. Right. Um, you know, we give the pro-life individuals in America give several hundred million dollars a year um, to these nonprofits, and nobody is making money off of it. You know, pe That's the people right. who work at pro-life pregnancy centers um, are not getting rich on their salaries and large numbers <laughs> of right. staff are volunteers. They're not paid. Yep. Uh, the resources are put into promoting the message and providing the services that women and families need. But one right. of those services that virtually every center across the country does for free is to provide trained counseling, to provide counseling individually or in group settings provided by trained counselors who will work with women who have post-abortion regret. Right. <clears throat> and post-abortion regret's not something that just shows up, you know, two weeks after you've done it. Um, the last group that I was involved with, I didn't do the counseling, but I know who did. The last group that I was involved with like that, um, the facilitator told me that one of the women attending her group was in her 70s wow. who had had an abortion very early after Roe 
and it never told anyone. And it wrecked her. She completely lacked the ability to think that she was ever worth having a relationship with anyone, that she could ever be a good mother uh, because of what she had done. And she was now in her 70s, living alone, no one in her life, no husband, no boyfriend, no children. Um, And she had never told anybody. Wow. 50 years of suffering. And that's just one person. How many of the 60 million abortions that have been done in America since then have mothers who have suffered like that? Um, Well, and that's because motherhood is so fundamental, right? Biology is so fundamental to who we are. I mean, you think about sex. You think about people's sex drive, people's desire to, uh, you know, create new life or to engage in the act that creates new life while denying that you're involved in, in, <laughs> in creating that new life. But uh, you know what I mean, that, right? That, that these parts of our, our biological uh, selves are so fundamental to who we are. And so leftism and abortion really entails this kind of like hatred of biology, Th- this hatred that there are moral structures and moral constraints that come along go hand in hand with biological realities. Do you know what I mean, Dr. Brent? That 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 something exactly. kicks in at a fundamental metaphysical level when you get pregnant. Your body is telling you that you're a mother. It's preparing to nurture the child that will come forth from your womb that is already existing inside of your womb. Right. And so so leftism in general or pro-abortion ideology has always entailed this hatred of biology or secular progressive progressivism in general. Right there. What, what is the language of the left use, Brent? Liberation. We're always trying to liberate ourselves from these constraints, societal constraints, right, biological constraints. We, what we want to be is gods. It's the fulfillment of the first lie by Satan. Eat the apple, your eyes will be open, and you'll be as a god. That we can liberate ourselves even from the constraints of human nature. And so, so really, it, pro-abortion ideology tells women to deny a fundamental moral reality that their soul is telling them is present when they're pregnant so that they can liberate themselves from the moral duties that flow from these biological realities. So anyways, I went kind of weird, 30,000-foot uh, philosophical to, make, to connect it back to what you said, that of course it makes sense then that women are dealing with depression and anxiety and regret decades after the abortion because they participated in something that was so contrary to and inverted or perverted of the natural reality of a human being that already existed of what your body was doing that which it was created to do and you killed the baby and you stopped it 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 makes so much sense if you acknowledge that there are duties that flow from biological realities uh and so just from sort of a self-evident level the listeners should to the show should are probably going yeah duh duh there's regret but now I want you to get into some of the statistics and kind of explaining the proof that we have, not because you've talked to five women and you're speaking experientially, but no, we have the data for this. Is that right, Dr. Brent? We do. Let's look at that. Abortion's impact on mental health. Um, between 1993 and 2018, there were 75 different studies uh, that were performed. Uh, completed and published in peer-reviewed journals. 50 of them show an increased risk in the chance of mental health issues after an abortion. 50 Um, of 75, wow. Yeah, so two-thirds of them. The National Academy of Science uh, report that uh, covers the impact on mental health chose only seven of those 75 studies to discuss and all of them were from the one-third of the studies, the 25 out of 75 <laughs> studies, uh, that said there was no linkage. And five of those seven were from a particular group called the Turnaway Cohort. And I know you're probably you're familiar with the Turnaway Cohort. Um, the Turnaway Cohort is a study that was put together with the premise that 
women who want an abortion but are turned away from getting one do worse uh, economically, psychologically, financially. Uh, they do worse than women who were able to receive the abortion that they wanted. The problem with the study was they determined how many people they needed to interview to make the study meaningful, and only 37% of the people they approached agreed to be interviewed and participate in the study. And during the course of the study, 44% of them dropped out. So they published their conclusions based on the results taken from only 17% of the women that they thought they needed to complete the study. Um, wow. that's, that raises some serious concerns <laughs> about the I think there's a term it. for that, Dr. Brown. I think it's called confirmation bias. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, wow. Because, I mean, it's confirmation bias is shown in the fact that women who are really struggling with it don't want to keep being reminded about it. They don't want to talk about it. So they quit answering phone calls. They quit returning the emails. They won't participate. So what they had left was a group of people who really weren't bothered by it and didn't feel like they'd had any trouble with it. And some people are like that. You know, there's no denying that. Not everyone struggles afterwards, but many do. And the turnaway cohort uh, is not a valid description. Uh, one interesting thing did come out of the turnaway cohort. Of the people that they were able to interview who did not receive the abortion that they wanted, when they were interviewed five years after having tried to obtain an abortion and failing, 95% of them were glad they didn't get the abortion they wanted. Wait, this was a result from the turnaway uh, It's a result study? they didn't publish. Wow. It's Can you say that again? That for the women who were turned away from receiving an abortion, who did complete five years of follow-up, 95% of them who had sought an abortion but didn't get it, 95% of them were glad at five years that they did not get the abortion that they thought Wait, they wanted. Dr. Brent, are you telling me that when someone meets their child and then they hold them and breastfeed them and hug them, are you telling me that, that they end up being happy that they didn't yes. kill them? <laughs> Back yes. to those biological realities. Yes. Wow. So furthermore, uh, the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYN has evaluated the data on this. Uh, they have a technical bulletin publicly available on their website, aaplog.org, that lists 69 different citations. And they very expertly outline the evidence supporting a significant linkage between uh, abortion and subsequent serious issues with mental health. Specifically, wow. one of the most prolific uh, objective researchers on this issue is a woman named Priscilla Coleman. And a lot of her work has been published in the prestigious peer-reviewed uh, British Journal of Psychiatry, I believe is the okay. name of it. Yes. Um, but it is a reputable peer-reviewed journal that has published her work. And when the editors and staff at that journal were attacked by, the, uh, by supporters of abortion, uh, they went back and really looked closely at Dr. Coleman's methods and conclusions, and they refused to back down and withdraw her. They, they were, the abortion industry was, the abortion supporters were demanding that the journal retract the publication of her of course, work, of course. and they, they refused to do so. So Dr. Coleman, in one of her best papers, cites 51 different references um, and does a, a really good meta-analysis, which is a compiling of different similar, study, similar studies that are looking at the same issue and trying to increase the numbers of uh, people okay. to increase the uh, strength of the conclusions. Her best meta-analysis shows that a having had an abortion increases your risk of subsequent mental health issues by 81 percent. Wow. Uh, it concludes a number, there's a number, a measure you can determine called the population attributable risk, which means, like, if you're going to talk about diabetes, um, let's say the population attributable risk for having diabetes when you eat a lot of sugar is 
75% or whatever, 75% of diabetes is due to eating a lot of sugar. I'm just making that up, right. but it illustrates an example. Well, population attributable risk for depression um, for a woman who's had an abortion is that 9.9% of women with diagnosed mental health conditions have only a past abortion as their only risk factor. They have no other risk factors, no okay. other life risk factors, no family history, no history of trauma or economic difficulty or other things that can, can contribute to mental health issues. Okay. Almost 10% of all cases of mental health disorders in women uh, can be attributed to abortion because that is their only risk factor. Even worse, the population attributable risk that abortion leads to suicide is 34%. 34% of suicide of women, uh, those women have only a past history of abortion as a risk factor. So to, to say in your informed consent process, to say uh, in your public news releases and on social media that abortion has no impact on women's mental health is simply not supportable by the data. Uh, right. It's not. Wow. So the next thing, preterm birth. Wow. That's powerful. Really quick, yeah. Dr. Brent, on mental uh-huh. health, um, just so our listeners mm-hmm. are clear on the different um, categories we discuss when we say mental health. We're talking about um, depression, right? We're talking about um, suicidality or suicidal tendencies. Just so we can name some of the mental health issues we're referring to, uh, are there any others that would be wrapped up in increased risk of mental health following an abortion? Well, part of the, some of the other mental health diagnoses are substance abuse disorders, uh, okay. addiction, uh, problems with that that develop after the abortion because the patient turns to addictive things to try to soothe her pain. Uh, It's a very rational explanation for how that can happen. Um, So yeah, uh, those are, those are the issues, mental health disorders, uh, anxiety, depression, suicidal risk, substance abuse, addiction, um, PTSD. Yeah. Um, 40% of women who have an early abortion will at some point later in life meet all the criteria for the diagnosis of PTSD. And 60% of women who've had a late-term abortion will at some point in the future meet the criteria for the diagnosis of PTSD. And that is not from a, you know, a small group of only like 50 patients or it's, or anecdotal data that I can tell you I saw in a small group. That information comes from a database of almost 200,000 uh, Medicaid patients who are women in the state of California uh, and wow. looking closely at that data. So you're talking not about a small group. You're talking about wow. the evaluation of hundreds of thousands of health records uh, to determine these associations. Um, wow. Wow. So Thank you, Dr. Brent. Next thing, they, they like to say, well, having this abortion won't cause, well, there won't be any impact on your future pregnancies. There won't be any impact on your future pregnancy risk. Um, Which is huge for a lot of women because a lot is. of women who, who get an abortion, especially if it's their first, um, they have future aspirations for being a mother. And they defend, they defend the slaughter of one child with a, de- they defend that, that, that killing by saying, I'm not ready to be a, mother. I'm not positioned or equipped to be a mother. So, of course, what they're saying is, I, I want to be a mother one day. It was like, we would say, well, you're a mother right now. But anyways, uh, and so therefore, I'm going to kill the one child uh, to increase the kind of better mother that I'll be in the future. Uh, yes. And so when you talk about informed consent, guys, this is hugely important because, again, like Dr. Brent said, we're setting aside the unborn child for just a second because what, what we're, why we're having this conversation is to prove to you guys that the abortion industry and their leaders, they know the things that Dr. Brent is saying. 
They know that they don't have a statistical basis on which to stand to claim that abortion in no way increases mental health issues. It in no way increases subsequent preterm birth and different pregnancies. They know they don't have a statistical basis to stand on. So they're saying it anyways to intentionally harm women because that's how much they care about abortion. So once again, the reason we're having this conversation is to equip you guys to prove that to others and to lift the scales from the eyes of people who falsely believe that the abortion industry is is invested in caring for the lives and health of women. So this it would be very important for women who want to be who want to have children at a later time and, and are going to kill one now to be told, oh, you could actually be harming your future pregnancy chances. So back to you. Yeah. <laughs> so the over the last few decades, there have been 168 studies from around the world that look at the association between induced abortion and subsequent preterm birth in, wow. in future pregnancies. Um, the APLOG has done a really good job looking at this data. They have two documents. American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Yes. yes. Not a small group, nearly 10,000 members. Uh, it's, it's not a fringe minority. This is, this is a large and growing group of professionals. Um, there are two bulletins on their website. Bulletin 5 looks at 47 of these studies, citing 47 different references, and Bulletin 11 cites 238 different references. You know, I said there were 168 studies, but then there are other studies where people have commented on the studies. So there's, they, right. they did a massive amount of work to search the literature in the database wow. and and not throw anything out because it didn't say what they wanted it to say, right, like right. the National Academy of Sciences does. Uh, right. They included everything. Um, the so APLOG looked at everything. Yes, yes. And what about the National all. Academy of Sciences? Well, out of 168 studies, they picked five. To make the claim that abortion to does not increase your risk of subsequent preterm yes. birth. Wow. <laughs> when, when the vast majority of 168 studies say that it does, they chose five that says it doesn't and ignored the other 163. Um, it's it's so, almost their playbook, huh? <laughs> yes, yes. So there was one really good meta-analysis that looked at 41 of these studies, um, grouped them together, and it gave us the best representation of the statistical risks. If you as a woman have one elective or induced abortion, your risk of delivering a premature baby between 32 and 37 weeks is increased by 36%. But your risk of delivering a baby that's extremely premature, less than 32 weeks, is increased by 64%. Whoa. So these critically ill preemies that spend weeks or months in the NICU with tremendous increases wow. in the risk of cerebral palsy and chronic long-term disability and wow. huge, enormous expense financially and personally and emotionally for the families that are involved, your risk from having one induced abortion, your risk of causing wow. you to, in the future, deliver at gestational age less than 32 weeks is increased by 64%. And if you've had multiple elective abortions, your risk right. of preterm delivery in the future overall is increased by 93%. Oh my gosh. And preterm birth overall, the population attributable risk factor, that, that calculation says right. that 31% of the babies that are in a NICU because of a preterm delivery, 31% are there with their mothers having no other risk factor for preterm delivery other than one, other than a prior Elective yes. And meaning so. that, and uh, you know, I'm tracking with you, but just for listeners who might not have understood what, what he said again, just to be clear on terms that, that 31% of preemies in the hospital, their mothers had no other risk category that could reasonably be attributed to that preterm birth than abortion. And, and this 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 fits into this fits in the neighborhood of the stats that we know. We hear we know that about one in four women have had an abortion. So this fits into that neighborhood. Then that would that would make sense of that. Wow. It does. So 
for for this book, this little this ought to be on the shelf at Barnes and Noble uh, under the category uh, "Sad Works of Fiction." Um, <laughs> That's right. It preterm birth. The the risk is there. Now, yep. breast cancer. Wow. That scary thing that one in every nine women in America will have to deal with at some point in their lives. You know, I remember I had been in private practice for probably seven or eight years when a study was released called the Women's Health Initiative. And that study was a very well done study that looked at the risks of postmenopausal hormone replacement and the risk that it would cause cancer. Um, to it post, determined to ex- define postmenopausal. Treatment. That when a woman has gone through menopause and is having hot flashes and other symptoms, and she decides right. to go on estrogen and hormone replacement therapy, okay. uh, this study said that your risk of breast cancer will be increased. Now, when you looked hmm. at the study, the num the amount of increase was actually very small. If if a group of 10,000 women who are not on hormones during menopause, 30 of them will get breast cancer in a given year. If you have 100,000 postmenopausal women on hormones, 38 of them will get breast cancer in a given year. So it only increases the risk of breast cancer by eight cases per 10,000 women per year. Wow. That was a tiny, tiny increase. But that tiny increase triggered a panic across America because the media rightly wanted to make people aware of the risks of hormone replacement. Right. Uh, and our office for several weeks got 150 phone calls a day from patients Whoa. demanding an immediate appointment to come in and talk about their hormone replacement because they were terrified. They would get breast cancer. Wow. So... What do you think an objective media would do if they heard these numbers that I'm about to give you on how abortion leads to breast cancer? An objective media would trigger such a panic that there would be mobs outside of Planned Parenthood, not outside of pregnancy centers. You totally, Um, that you're totally right. That would totally happen. So here you are, here's the numbers. Between 1957 and 2018, there were 76 studies around the world that were published in peer-reviewed journals that evaluated the linkage between induced abortion and subsequent breast cancer. 60 out of the 76 showed a positive association between having had an abortion and later having an increased risk of breast cancer, with more than half of those having a statistical significance that met or exceeded the 95th percentile, which for your listener, that means it was a really good study (laughs) and that its conclusion is really trustworthy. So of, of the 24 studies out of those, out of those 76, the 24 studies that were done in the United States, 19 of them confirm an association between induced abortion and subsequent risk of breast cancer. But how many of those did these good old boys put in their book? <laughs> Three. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So it's, it's just the same game over and over again, huh, Brent? It's, it's pro-lifers yeah. will look at as, as, uh, with as much breadth as possible in their data. And then the pro-abortion movement will, will cherry-pick the yes. narrowest subset of studies that confirm their bias run with that as the follow the science narrative. And then it gets repeated in the universities and on the mainstream activist media. And then we're castigated as anti-science bigots because we're saying that the pro-abortion movement is not following science. They're following money. But in each yes. case, they're cherry picking the minor- from the minority that prove that that uh, don't affirm what the majority of the cases show <laughs> just like <laughs> anyways but but for of course for pro-lifers brett this doesn't surprise us because those who murder no, babies will have no moral qualms with lying correct so continue the problem with saying that there's no way that there's an association 
there really is a plausible biological and physiological explanation for why allowing a pregnancy to begin to stimulate the breasts, but then stopping it so that the breasts don't progress to a mature state that produces milk, because that's the state that provides the most protection for women from breast cancer. Having had a child early in life, going to term, delivering it and breastfeeding it provides an incredibly high level of protection against breast cancer because those mature ducts and cells and glands in the breasts, right. those mature ones are very resistant to becoming cancer. 97% of breast cancers arise in an immature breast duct or oh. gland. Wow. So abortion causes the number of immature glands to proliferate, but then never causes them to mature. So wow. they spend many more years in a proliferative state that is very prone to malignant change. Wow. So there's, there's a very plausible explanation for mm. the increased risk. Uh, but the good old guys at the National Academy of Sciences, ah, who cares about physiology? You know, um, if it wow. doesn't support what we say, we don't care about it. So now, of those um, 76 different studies that looked at things, the best one was done by a Dr. Dolling. Uh, that study chose 845 women who had breast cancer and then selected 961 age-matched controls who did not have breast cancer. That means mm -hmm. they, they picked women with breast cancer, and then they went out and found women of similar age, height, weight, ethnic background, that kind of okay. thing, who did right. not have breast cancer, and then looked at the histories in both of them. What kind of risk factors okay, right, did these right. What kind of risk factors did this group that didn't get it, what risk factors did they not have? So they looked at that. Um, what they found was that if you had one abortion in your past, uh, that overall your risk of being diagnosed with breast cancer by the age of 45 was increased by 50%. Now, what a, what a huge difference between hormone replacement therapy right. giving eight more women out of 10,000 a case of breast cancer, <laughs> right. as opposed to abortion giving you a 50% increase in your risk. Where's the sensational wow. news media on this? Wow. Um, they're just as dishonest as the abortion industry spokespeople. They really are. Yeah, um, right. Now, if you have your abortion prior to the age of 18 or after the age of 29, don't know. I don't understand totally why those. That's the finding. But if if you had your first pregnancy aborted at those ages, you have a 100 percent increase in your risk of breast cancer. Oh my gosh! So before 18 or after 29? After 29, then you have wow. a 100 percent higher chance of developing <laughs> breast cancer. Now that that doesn't mean you know there will be people who try to twist what I just said. That doesn't mean that 100% of those women are going to get breast cancer. Correct. What it means is the risk is doubled for them. Yes, yes. That's that's what a 100% increase in risk yeah. means. It means it, right. it doubled the risk. Finally, the the worst sad group within this uh, these um, nearly 2,000 women that were studied, if you aborted your first pregnancy while you were a teenager, and you had a family history of breast cancer. There were 12, 12 women in this study. That was their demographic characteristic. They had their first pregnancy aborted while they were a teenager and they had a family history of breast cancer. And a family history. 12, 12 women met those criteria. All 12 had breast cancer by the age of 45. Wow. Every one of them. Oh my gosh. This should be national news. It should be. It should have been uh, when it, these studies it, came out. Yes. And, you know, back several years ago when the tobacco industry, the cigarette manufacturers were finally held accountable for having engaged in promoting false research and false conclusions to convince right. Americans that 
smoking cigarettes wasn't addictive and didn't cause cancer. And then they were That's found right. liable. Yeah, yeah. They were found criminally liable wow. and ordered to pay billions wow. into trust funds uh, to take care of people who had right. been injured by cigarette smoking. This is the same thing. Yeah, totally. This wow, is an, this has been an organized, concerted effort to ignore valid evidence and promote worthless evidence right. to to promote the fiction that abortion has no impact on women. Wow. Um, and that's wow. that's the only conclusion you can draw uh, if you're going to objective about it and you know people people will watch your show here and they'll go off all mad and they'll call you and me liars but you know what don't even talk about it unless you've looked at this (laughs) and you've looked at other references that i've cited that's um, right right. because everything i've said is verifiable that's right wow dr brent uh in brief summary guys because this was a powerful this was a data heavy information heavy episode but um i think it's really important this is an episode i would encourage you guys to go back and listen to and so in, in short abortion increases your chance of mental health issues in the future um subsequent preterm birth and subsequent breast cancer uh and and that risk increases with each abortion that you get um and and so, again, I want to make this point just because I, I want my listeners to, to hear me say it over and over and over and over again so they take this away. The, the people at the National Academy of Sciences who deny that abortion increases your chance of any one of these three things or all of these three things, th- these are not stupid people, right, Dr. Brent? I mean, these are smart people. And, and they, they would have had to have looked at the 75 studies in mental health the 168 studies in subsequent preterm birth and the 76 studies in subsequent breast cancer risk, they would have had to look at these studies to, to sift through them <laughs> to pick out the ones that confirmed their bias. So it's like when you if, you, if you, if you think about how this process works, guys, these evil people are aware of the vast majority of studies in the medical research that disprove the claim that they're entrenching into the society and the activist media. They're aware of all of that, but they selectively um, select them. (laughs) They cherry pick them because they profit off of abortion because it allows them to remake the world in their image because it allows them to have orgasms without responsibility. Uh, And so you need to realize and wake up to the fact, and I'll say it once again, the pregnant women that the abortion industry says they exist to serve and love treat these women as just as much of a sacrificial lamb, as expendable, as they already believe the unborn child to be. And so when people say, Dr. Brent, that the woman is the second victim, some pro-lifers hate that kind of talk because it says you're not a victim if you kill your child. And and you know what I, I I in many ways I I do believe that you're the the child is the victim you know but we also need to understand that the abortion industry does prey upon women as well it it doesn't mean for for the immediatist abolitionists out there who hate me it doesn't mean that the woman is not responsible we're all responsible for our sin and for our choices but it does mean that there is a culture and an incentive to prey upon the pregnant women because they have to say yes to the abortion for you to make the blood money, for you to profit off of killing these children. So necessarily the mothers have to be lied to. And they know they're lying. They don't care that they're lying. And so you need to re-listen to this episode again and again, you guys. Dr. Brent is such a gift to the pro-life movement and, and, and to us here at Unaborted because this gives you the statistical ground to stand upon to wake up those pro-choice moderates in America. You know who I'm talking about. They don't like third trimester abortions, but they're they're okay with first trimester abortions. There was a Gallup poll in 2019, by the way, Dr. Brent, that found that only 13% of Americans want abortions legal in, in the third trimester. Only 13%. But the percentage goes ways up in the first, in the first trimester. So th- those are pro-choice moderates. We can reach those people by exposing to them the evil agenda of the abortion industry that preys upon the pregnant women. And then that can move them on their way to joining us to defend the right to life of every child. Closing thoughts, Dr. Brent? Um, A couple. 
Uh, one, just remember that so many of the women who have had abortions were convinced by the abortion industry rhetoric. They've worked really hard to make everyone believe that it's not really a baby. Right. That it's not a baby yet. And a woman who, a, a person, not just women, but any people who are afraid and anxious and uncertain are vulnerable to manipulation and are much more likely to believe the person standing there saying, I've got the solution to your problem. Right. And so it just, it, the, the manipulation um, of, of women by this industry is just unspeakably awful and of right. such a much higher magnitude than anyone really realizes. Yeah. Uh, but to go back to what we were talking about, just to summarize, these three problems, mental health, future impact on future pregnancies with the risk of preterm labor, and the future risk of breast cancer for women. Nearly 350 studies evaluated these three issues, and the National Academy of Sciences only looked at 15 of those. Oh, wow. Nearly 350, and they cherry-picked 15 to make wow. their point. Of course. While dishonestly and disingenuously ignoring the preponderance of data that says otherwise. Yep. Wow. Unreal, Dr. Brent. I, I was taught. I was I was informed today. Thank you, brother. Um, guys, thank Dr. Brent. Go follow his Facebook page, his Twitter. He has great commentary and content on the front lines of the abortion wars. We'll see you soon, brother. Thank you, sir. Hey, guys, Bye -bye. thanks for joining the show today. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. Follow Dr. Brent on his Twitter and Facebook page. We'll put the links in the show notes. Go back and listen to old episodes with Dr. Brent. He's an absolute treasure of information to the pro-life movement. If you want to follow me online, you go to Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. Give me a follow. We really appreciate it. Help our content take off. We're debunking a lot of lies right now that you're hearing with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And if you want to book me for an event or see my speaking schedule, go to www.sethgruber.com and to join the White Rose Resistance and build an army of resistance against the culture of death against our deadly holocaust of abortion if you want to become an ally of the white rose resistance and the new organization that i'm building go to www.thewhiterose.life until next week i'm seth gruber and this is unaborted <laughs>